A Sickness in Time by M.F. Thomas and Nicholas Berkettle. Narrated by Roseanne Sinclair. Chapter 3 Laconia, New Hampshire, 2015. Where'd you find this thing? Leah asked Maria as she came through the front door. Maria hadn't expected Leah to be awake yet, but Leah wasn't much for predictability. Got coffee, Maria said, ducking the question and offering the cup holder from the bag of Dunkin' Donuts. Leah drifted over from her little kitchen table, took her cup and some creamer from the holder, and returned to her seat. Don't you want your donut? Maria asked, sitting down opposite her. I think I need to rebalance my sugar intake, Leah said quietly. My body needs to get used to better energy sources. Maria shrugged and started tucking into her own donut. This thing is very heavy, Leah offered. She hadn't drunk from the coffee yet and was just staring down at the metal marker from the forest. That's why I left it in the car, space cadet. You didn't have to go lugging it in yourself. So you're going to take it to this guy? Dr. Qualls? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't have a lot of time for stuff like this. But what is it? I don't know what they're trying to do. If they know where he is, why didn't they just send it to him? It's science stuff. Science people are woolly. Maria knew she shouldn't stereotype, but every science class she'd ever taken in high school or college or in the Air Force had been taught by someone of the cuckoo clock persuasion. Do you think it's one of those shows where they put a camera on you to see what you'll do? I always get nervous about one of those shows happening to me. Leah slipped her hand around her coffee cup as if she suddenly needed to warm them. Maria said nothing. She lost patience with Leah way too easily and had learned through experience that you couldn't just bark at her to move her ass or stop being silly like Maria was used to it. It would be a lot easier if that worked but it didn't. You working today? Maria asked. Leah gave a weary sigh and looked down again. To Maria, she always looked like a flower. You could just blow right over. I think so. I have to check. I think they might need me in the afternoon. I might tell them I can't. I don't know. Maria popped the lid off her coffee so she could dip a quarter of the donut into it. Got two ups today. Got to head in soon. Oh, good. Any plans for the day beyond that? Just to stay alive and sober. You shouldn't joke about that. It's very serious. Don't I look serious? Leah reached out and ran her hands over the marker. It feels so cold. But also very precise. I kind of like it. Like it? Don't you like it? Maria didn't know what to say. It was a big, heavy, annoying thing. Whether or not to like it just hadn't seemed like a necessary question. If you're busy, I could take it there. To Princeton, I mean. To save you the drive, Leah offered. Maria could see Leah's eyes flitting towards the bag, tempted by the donut. She felt a flare of possessiveness over the marker, You'd drive to New Jersey and back? Well, I mean, I guess I'd stay overnight somewhere, 
It would be like a little getaway. You'll call me an hour down the road with a panic attack. Maria, you shouldn't be mean. Maria made a frustrated sound and pushed the bag across the table. Eat. You'll wear yourself out fighting it. Leah's mouth screwed around in a wrestling match between guilt and surrender. Then she took one side of the bag in a delicate grip and opened it to peek inside. You shouldn't tell me I can't do things. You should tell me I can do things, Leah insisted, still in her quiet voice, as she reached in the bag and pulled out her donut. I ain't your doctor. I'm just offering to help. No, no, it has to be me. He'll probably want to know where I found it and all that. You probably shouldn't have even put your fingerprints on it. Oh, I'm sorry, I hadn't thought of that. Should I wash it? No. Maria opted for the motorcycle. It needed more fixing than the car. And honestly, she should have replaced both years ago. But she couldn't exactly afford that. And today she just wanted to hear herself growling down the road. She walked the motorcycle out from the garage around the little house that she and Leah shared, waiting until it was in the street to turn it over because Leah told her that the noise startled her. During her years in the Air Force, Maria had bunked with women who gossiped, snored, stole toiletries, left hair everywhere, hogged the bathroom, and farted in bed. Not one of them ever drove her as nuts as Leah. But the two of them had each other's back, and that was that. Inside the house, she would give Leah crap. Outside, she would put down anyone who looked sideways at her. The motorcycle coughed awake, and Maria cruised out of the neighborhood. It was a short trip through the town to the little airport. Maria watched Laconia awakening as she drove. Flags going up, those old coots gathering outside the cafe to talk about how the world was going to hell. She could never get over how damned white New Hampshire was. Maria was half white, and usually got treated as all white, since those freckles her bastard dad had bequeathed her would peek out if she hadn't gotten much sun. But she never really felt white. She had her whole childhood to learn who the in-crowd was, and how she and her mom and brother weren't part of it. She'd gone to battle against the most evil people on earth, and still none of them could make her as angry as a judgmental look from a tastefully dressed soccer mom. Still with the soccer moms, the voice asked her. Maria swore under her breath. She hadn't wanted to have this conversation this morning. Part of the reason she'd chosen the motorcycle was the irrational belief that maybe it would prevent this conversation. Come on now. You know it doesn't work that way. Maria still ignored it. And we both know you can hear me. Yeah, so what do you want? Maria finally answered, leaning aggressively into a corner and picking up speed past the cemetery on her way to the highway. Hadn't checked in for a while, that's all. Wish I could just crack my head open and shut you up. You tried that already. In your own way. Did it ever work? Maybe just one more really hard one is all it will take. I always know when you're bluffing. Wish I could hit you. 
The trees whipped by as her agitation spurred the bike along. Your head's not where it should be. You've got things to do. Pre-flight starts long before you get to your plane. Yeah, you didn't teach me that. My instructors did. I just like to remind you. I don't need your help. Who said I came around to help? Maria gritted her teeth and found herself wondering if she could get herself arrested between here and work. Of course, that wouldn't actually get rid of the voice. They were cruising over the lake, Maria and what's-his-name. What's-his-name couldn't bank for crap and was trying to pedal his way through every maneuver. If that's what you want to do, she thought to herself, you paid for the ride. She sold an illusion for a living, the idea that she could make someone a pilot in an hour. But she did the checks. She talked with the tower. Hell, most days she towed the plane. Some men tried to be chivalrous when they saw her hooking up the bar under the nose and dragging the 152 out into the runway. But she wouldn't let them, even if she liked chivalry. Her job was to get them in the air and let them take the stick. It was literally the easiest part of being a pilot. You just need enough brain cells to keep the horizon steady. The law, she said, couldn't train anyone under 12 but she'd met nine-year-olds who would be able to handle a 152 in the air with supervision. They were so simple, people used to call them Landomatics. Still, some days, Maria felt like she'd be safer with the autopilot. What's-his-name was having a good time, his face a mix of concentration and bliss. Maria zoned out, as she sometimes did, listening to the drone of the propeller and the rush of the air around the cabin. The world turned beneath them, at a gentle pace. At the velocity they were going, Maria could probably race them on her bike and win on a straight road. She had a strong, strong urge to be doing just that. Suddenly, what's-his-name's voice buzzed in her ears. She snapped out of her daze. Say again? So, uh, how long have you been doing this? Three years as a trainer. Three years? Didn't the website say you were in the Air Force? That's correct. Didn't fly planes while I was in. Did some flight training after my commission, but I got assigned somewhere else. Finished training as a civvy. Oh, why not? Watch your altitude. Maria put some edge into her voice, trying to emphasize that this was not get-to-know-Maria time, even in one of the easiest machines to fly short of a balloon. Realize you kicking my wall? Maria looked up from the magazine she wasn't reading, then realized that Albert was right. Sorry, man. Your next up's not two hours. Isn't somewhere you'd rather be? Hell yes, she thought. I want to be at Finnegan's with a dark pint and some darts. But she didn't say anything just shook her head and reached for her rotten styrofoam coffee. Doing okay? Albert asked. Maria liked Albert. His old doughy face and all those red vein trails coming off his nose. The way he was too old to give a damn about speaking in coherent sentences. He had a little patch of white red hair that looked like a carpet square someone had slapped on the top of his head on his way out the door. 
and he always looked like he ought to be wearing a rain slicker and holding a fishing rod rather than running a small airport. She put up with his concerns as a means of liking him. Didn't sleep well. Fucked my ankle up in the mountains two days ago. Ought learn to relax, little lady. It's overrated. I buy you a burger? Cheeseburger? Maria looked at the boring wall, listened to the buzzing lights, and decided a cheeseburger was at least better than this. The sun was setting when Maria came home. She saw the porch light was on, but all the house lights were off, which meant Leah was home. She entered and heard a low, confident male voice. It was one of Leah's audiobooks. Maria took off her boots in the doorway and walked quietly, following the sound to her roommate. She was in her bedroom. Maria pushed the door open with a creak and saw Leah wearing her big bathrobe and lying under her comforter. She had a stick of that freaking incense burning in the windowsill. Hey, champ, Maria said. Leah picked up a small remote from her bedside table and paused the book. Hello, Maria. How was work? Went up twice. Came down twice. Can't complain. That's good. I'm glad to see you. Yeah. Did you work? Maria knew she hadn't. It wasn't a good day, but they said they could use me on Friday. I need to wash my work blouse anyway. It looks terrible. Shut up, kid. Nothing looks terrible on you. Thank you. Leah pulled off the covers and sat up. She seemed to be gathering herself to stand. I made some tea. It's downstairs. I don't know if it's cold. I don't know what time it is. It's okay. Hey, you got everything you need around here? Your food and everything? I think so. I'll be fine. Are you going camping again? Nah, I'm going to take the thing to the guy tomorrow morning. Oh, that's nice of you. I'm sure they'll be glad you did, whoever they are. Maria shrugged and turned to head out. Maria? Leah's voice stopped her. Thank you for living with me. Maria turned. Thank me? I should thank you, weirdo. Nobody else can stand me. Maria sat on the porch in the dark. The last of the fireflies had stopped glowing about a month ago, so now it was just her and the sky and the house lights of the neighborhood. Her hand wanted so badly to assume the shape of holding a beer bottle. Not to drink, the wicked part of her promised. Just to look like she was doing something. So she didn't look like some creepy, staring zombie. That part of her had so many lies to whisper. She got up and jogged six miles. Five for the exercise. And one, just to not stop moving yet. She was up not long after the sun and had made some proper eggs on toast instead of donuts. Leah floated through the kitchen and absent-mindedly chewed on a piece of toast. She came back in and said, I'd like to show you something. 
Maria shrugged and followed Leah into the little den, taking her plate with her and munching while standing. Leah stood over by the empty mantle and gestured to it. Yeah, said Maria, shaking her head uncomprehendingly. I dusted it. I found that thing with your medals, and I thought we could put them up here. Maria made a growling sound and almost choked on her eggs. You went through my shit? No, I just saw it sitting there, you know. We don't really have much. I thought I'd put it there, and then like maybe a little flower pot next to it or something. I saw one last week that was very cheap. Maria looked at Leah's face. It was already contorting into her trademark expression of fear and confusion and guilt that she had done something that she wasn't supposed to do, despite her intentions. She'd voluntarily crawl in a hole and never do anything again if Maria said to. So Maria swallowed the eggs, cleared her throat, and said, Sounds good. Sorry I snapped. Didn't mean anything. Oh, good. I thought I might have upset you. Nah, princess. I'll see you tomorrow, okay? Leah, big stupid robe and all, came over and hugged her. Maria took it. For this long trip, Maria took the car. She didn't trust the bike for this many miles in a day. She headed south and soon enough was passing through Concord and Manchester, quaint and leafy, and so very white, just like Laconia, only bigger. For a while, she found herself trapped behind a line of buses, the motorcade of some asshole governor who wanted to be president, and so was parading all over the state, shaking hands in diners and putting up flag bunting in every empty field he could find. When she pulled off the road for lunch, she did a slow perimeter check of the joint to make sure no politicians were anywhere near it. They all loved that she was a veteran, and she hated the conversations that always followed when they learned it. Eventually, as she guessed it would, the voice spoke to her again. Strange responsibility you're taking on. Could be 20 years before someone else tripped over the thing. It had been there long enough. Still, it's good that you're keeping busy. If you had an ass, I'd be busy kicking it. You handled that business with Leah and the medals really well. Like I care about your approval. I think she's doing you good. Even more good than you do her. I ain't marrying her, if that's what you're getting at. Why would you go there? I'm just talking about being a good friend. We're as good of friends as we have to be. But not completely. Cut the therapist bullshit. I've had those. Oh, I don't have to play therapist. I already know what's in your head. You'll give her a lot of friendship as long as she respects the deal. What deal? That she never makes you tell her about me. There is no you. You're a voice in my head. That's so true. So, why do you hear me? Maria turned up the stereo, refusing to continue the conversation. After she crossed from Connecticut into New York, 
She stayed on 84 so she could vector around New York City and all the surrounding nonsense. Of course, her luck being her luck, she ended up in a wretched single-file traffic crawl. It took over a half hour to even find out what was causing it. Some massive earth-moving equipment digging a trench that looked like it was going to pass right under the 43 highway. So much expensive bullshit, and none of it ever seemed to help. It's not that there weren't traffic jams in the sky. She'd circle a few runways waiting her turn. But provided everyone did the required communicating, you had a clear track between points A and B, and you never had to do this stop and start lurching along. It was already much later in the afternoon than she had planned, and she wondered if Dr. Qualls would even be there, or if she'd have to call ahead to make sure. She had entertained the fantasy that she could be home that night, but now it looked like she would need a hotel after all, which was an expense that didn't thrill her. She looked over her shoulder, imagining the thing that was sitting in her car trunk. Maybe there's a reward for finding you, huh? At least the professor ought to have some gas money for me, don't you think? Princeton was a fancy campus. Maria hadn't spent much time on any other than her own, but this one breathed money and history from every brick. She left the thing in the trunk so she could find a map before she started toting it around. The pause gave her a moment to appreciate the place. The kids looked so damn young. Of course, they'd already looked young to her when she'd attended college. Since she had already done a full term as an NCO before taking Air Force money to finish her degree and re-enlist as an officer, in her first year on campus, she'd been a 23-year-old combat vet in classes alongside 18-year-olds flailing around trying to find an identity out of mommy and daddy's house. Now, they looked even more like babies as unmarked and shapeless as Play-Doh in the can. She located Dr. Qualls' office, then went back to her car and grabbed the marker, which she had covered in a blanket to fend off the curious. Of course, his office was on the third floor. Not able to get a hand free, she knocked on the door with her foot. Come in, a cheery voice said from within. I don't have a hand free for the doorknob. All right, just a moment. She heard a great deal of shuffling and creaking. Finally, the door opened, and she felt rotten all over. Dr. Weldon Qualls was in a wheelchair. Ah, crap. I'm sorry. I didn't know. Know what? Dr. Qualls smirked. He was thin, with bushed gray hair and big round glasses that screamed 1980s as if he'd seen himself in the mirror one day 30 years ago and thought to himself, yep, this is what we're going with. You're Dr. Qualls, right? That's right, Ms. Maria Kerrigan. Just use Maria. Maria found herself uncomfortable between the weight of the thing she was carrying, the way Dr. Qualls' condition had thrown her off balance, and the sudden memory of how being in a professor's office was, weirdly, so much more intimidating than the loudest T.I. at Lackland. What can I do for you, Maria? I, uh, okay if I use that table? 
She brushed awkwardly by him and dropped the marker onto a round table strewn with magazines. It made an impressive clank on impact. Dr. Qualls seemed to spark at the sound. He turned his chair to wheel over to the table. Now what have we here? Maria reached out to pull off the blanket, but Dr. Qualls raised his arm first. Wait. Before you do this, how far did you travel to get here? About 400 miles, thanks for asking. And you know, gas ain't cheap these days, right? I do. We'll see to that. Don't worry. Now go ahead. Maria pulled off the blanket. Qualls looked at the marker with a kind of sad marvel. A strange, humbled joy that Maria had seen in some church folk. He touched it lightly, reverently, and read the markings along the top. 1999. You have waited a long time, haven't you? Yeah, so what is it? Qualls looked keenly at her. Just a little game some friends of mine and I play. Have you ever heard of geocaching? We stash things, hither and yon. It helps us meet interesting people, like sending out a message in a bottle. Maria glared silently at him. Really? So, what, I have to fill out a questionnaire or something? Qualls waved off the question and chuckled. Nothing like that. Tell me, what do you do? Pilot trainer, up in New Hampshire, Laconia. You carry yourself very confidently. You've had military training? Air Force, two stints. One as an enlisted, the second as an officer. Forgive me, Dr. Qualls adjusted his glasses, then pressed his fingers together, giving her an appraising look reserved for specimens in a petri dish. The details of how those things work are outside my experience. But you saw action? Yeah. And you have killed anyone? As part of my duties, I participated in the blowing up of some dirty bastards who wanted to blow you up. That bother you? Qualls smiled at the challenge. All violence bothers me. But let's say yours bothers me less than other violence might. Boy, oh boy, do you speak egghead fluently. It takes all kinds. Now, forgive what must seem like a drastic shift in topic, but what are your ambitions? Ambitions? Sure. We're all trying to chart a course somewhere into the future. Where would you like yours to go? Why does this feel like a job interview? Qualls chuckled again. His laugh got more unsettling each time Maria heard it. That's what it is. A job interview is exactly what it is. For a very unique job. Are you looking for a job? Maria shrugged, deflecting instinctively. What's the job? Aha! This is part of what makes this job special. Everything happens in the wrong order. First, I will interview you. Then, you will make a great deal of money. Then, 
I will tell you if you are hired or not. And then, and only then, will I tell you what the job is. But I keep the money either way? Absolutely. Maria tilted her head and was silent for only two seconds. Okay, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Your school has too much money to play with. How do we start? A Sickness in Time by M.F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle Narrated by Roseanne Sinclair If you love listening to this podcast, please leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Learn more about the novel by visiting www.sicknessintime.com. <laughs>